The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to another episode of The Crowncast. And we have a Wednesday cast that has so much stuff in it, you will literally not believe it. We are going to talk about the lost Chicago fire. We are going to talk about the win to DC United. We're going to talk about all of the people coming into the club. We're going to talk about all of the people going out of the club. We are going to talk about L.A. and our fantastic, fantastic chances of absolutely dominating that game against them where we are really just going to go out there and probably score six. Uh, We're going to talk about injuries to players. We're going to talk about really everything. And I am very, very thankful to be introducing the man who will do it all with me because my voice literally could not do it all. It's Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. Roller coaster of a week. How'd you, uh, how'd you survive it? Um, mostly I curled up into a little ball and tried to find some form of balance in the world. Uh, for those of you adults out there who may have in their lives had a little too much alcohol, you may know the point at which you start to hold on to the earth in case you fall off. And uh, that was kind of a little bit what the roller coaster felt like. How about you, Justin? Yeah, it uh, it was really nice until it was really unpleasant. Uh, and then, you know, it got back to, I guess it's okay. <laughs> so, you know. All right-ish. Um, yeah. I-, I will say really quickly we have to make a note for those of you who were not at either of the games in the vault. We had a couple of really cool people set foot in Charlotte, Clint Dempsey, American legend. If you don't know who he is, please take 40 seconds out of your day and Google him. Really, really cool to see him get crowned as a guest. And another man who came in as an enemy is one of uh, your personal heroes in, I'm sorry, his name was was Wayne. Uh, that would be uh, Waza. That would be Wayne Rooney, the greatest striker in the history of the Premier League and Manchester United's record holder for most strikes for the club. I definitely felt like I should give you that introduction. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, and you're welcome to all the people who got the chance to see those legends, because this is a statement. Uh, MLS is growing. We are we are becoming a larger league in the world. We're getting the chance to, even if they're coming in after their footballing careers, we're getting the chance to see these guys. They're becoming a part of the future, and we get to see them in person, live in our stadium. And all we can believe is that it's going to grow from here. Uh, I think we are going to hop into the DC United match first. Do you feel like that's fair, Justin? Yeah, and and to let our listeners know, these were you know back to back and and if not for a rain delay we would be talking about even more uh so we've got a ton to talk about which means we're not going to get to every goal in every one of these matches we're gonna really briefly run through some of the big moments but then we're going to talk about uh you know a couple of of uh these scoring chances and and the goals uh in a little bit more depth yeah and the first thing we're going to say we said it previously you know our final thoughts for the match against DC were that we did what we were supposed to do. Uh, DC is, uh, I'm not going to say they're not a great team, but they're not a great team. Uh, We were playing an opposition that we probably should have gone out there and put to the sword. We did that. I'm proud of the boys. And I'm glad that we got to see some, some of the things 
ring up on the score sheet, but we do have an own goal. I'll knock it out really quick. Swiderski with the knockdown header. Um, McNeil pressures the defense. It's well-earned by McNeil. It does go in off of a defender, but it doesn't happen if McNeil's not there. Credit to him. Uh, Swiderski gets a goal. This is another one of those times that we see the danger of the top of the box, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, essentially, Reyna takes a cracking shot. Keeper can't keep the can't hold on to the ball. It falls to a wide open Swiderski to tap in a goal. That's kind of it. These two things, while there was good play in all of them, there's not that much to break down. Uh, I do think that Justin, you want to break down the 67th minute goal. Do you want to go into that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so this is at the end of all of this play, this is going to be a goal for Quinn McNeil. Um, who earned man of the match honors uh, here uh, for also for those of you who haven't gotten the post react or checked in from Instagram, we do have some big news uh, here at the crown cast. And that is, you know, for these matches, we are members of the press now uh, for Charlotte FC. And so we had an opportunity to be there for this, uh, for, for the DC United match, for the sort of uh, uh, partial attempt to play <laughs> the Columbus crew for the storm um, that occurred on the night when we theoretically could have played Columbus crew. Yep. And then for the Chicago fire match, but, but we've had representation in the stadium. So when we talk about Quinn McNeil getting man a match in this one, we got a chance to, to interview Quinn McNeil uh, afterwards uh, after this match. Um, it was a really great experience. Uh, we're really excited to do it. We're really excited to keep bringing you fresh new content because of that. Um, and so, you know, definitely look forward to to more from the crown cast in the stadium, uh, you know, from all of these. But uh, McNeil gets uh, McNeil gets the last goal, really ices this game down. Um, there's a, a, a cross into Swiderski who gets to put a header on frame. Uh, and I think Swiderski does pretty well with the header. Um, the part that I really love here it's, uh, is. Mackenzie Gaines pounces on the rebound and it's a terrible angle to try a shot. And Mackenzie Gaines, you know, he gets slated a, a lot of the time for his delivery not being great. He puts a perfect grass cutter of a, it's a low cross just snapped in from the end line back to the penalty spot uh, for Quinn McNeil to, to punch this one in. Um, maybe McNeil doesn't make the best contact. This gets a pretty hefty deflection that keeps it away from the keeper and the other defenders, but that part doesn't matter. It's in the back of the net from, uh, you know, an attack that really Joseph Morrison's the cross in Swiderski gets the header attempt gains, pings it back into the danger area and McNeil puts it home. That's a lot of our attacking play really working together. Well, uh, getting a couple of good attempts. And if you keep getting good attempts, eventually they go in. Yeah. I mean, eventually they do go in and I do think it's right to call out, you know, like you said, McNeil for, for this one, he was in the right place. He did finish the ball. Uh, he does get man of the match for his performance. Uh, I don't think any of the stuff that happens for McNeil in this game happens by accident. I think his engine goes, goes through the game and, and gets him these opportunities. I do think this is the the game that kind of requires the least in-depth conversation. We took it to DC. We were in their half the whole time. They did not present any real threat. You know, I think they only got like one or two shots at the end of the game, sort of in, in quote-unquote garbage time. 
one of the things that I do want to talk about, Justin, before we move into uh, the game against Chicago Fire, is I'm going to introduce this idea of field, field tilt. And basically, for those of you who aren't stats people, because stats people really take this and, and go further into some really cool numbers, but for the rest of us, imagine field tilt as whether you seem to be running downhill or uphill. And Charlotte FC was running downhill. It was just really easy in this game to just keep pressuring them, keep rolling the ball back in, keep. And we we go from this game where we see this really, really downhill run at uh, DC. And then we get into what I think is probably best described as a teeter-totter against <laughs> Chicago Fire. I mean... One of the things where like midfields seemed completely absent uh, against Chicago fire. It just seemed to be one ball through an attack on both sides. Mackenzie Gaines, you know, uh, we discussed in the post react, you know, I gave him a card because I feel like nothing to do with his skill. He's not connecting with the rest of the team yet. Um, and he's going to need to develop a few things to, to be a connector to this team. But we really saw just uh, there, I believe it's number 11 and Casper just running through us. And then we saw us run through them. And then we saw them run through us and us run through them. And one of the questions I, I have to ask to you, Justin, is how do we go from a game that we are just running downhill at DC United, even if it is a, a slightly uh, unfair matchup tilted towards our side? to this game against Chicago Fire, and uh, all of a sudden we have no control of the ball in the middle of the field. I mean, I, I think more than anything else, it's one person. It's it's Zerdan Shakiri in the middle of the field for Chicago. You know, you talked about us being able to find the space and being able to take the ball back against D.C. We were able to press D.C. We were able to get the ball back in more dangerous areas. Shakiri is a press-resistant midfielder. And when I say that, what I mean is you can go up, you can try and hit him, you can try and take the ball off of him, and he's going to ride the tackle, he's going to keep the ball at his feet, and then he's going to progress it forward. He is full of dangerous passing and, and ability with the ball at his feet that really made the difference, I, I think, in this match. Uh, coupled with, you know, some some defensive issues and, and injury for Charlotte, uh, that we'll get to in a little bit, but, but, you know, Shakiri keeps putting Chicago in dangerous positions and has the ability to ping the kind of passes that turn defense into attack very quickly, which gives you this kind of teeter totter match, this back and forth. Yeah. And one of the things I want to highlight here and, uh, Christian Latanzio highlighted was that I do think it does come into play. You know, these are professional athletes. They are in incredible shape, but you cannot run that hard and then just run that hard again two, three days later, four days later. Um, I think we saw both Brant, uh, or I think we saw Brant Bronico. I think we saw Ben Bender, and I think we saw Quinn McNeil, all of whom in that midfield are asked to do really physical, high-speed jobs specifically in McNeil and Brant Bronico. And I think all of them looked tired. Um, I do think one of the things we can put that up to is the fact that as discussed, 
you just can't run forever. And I think that explains some of the some of the substitutes that we saw in this one. Uh, Justin, where do you want to start? I mean, you know, we can talk real quickly about some of the early goals and and then kind of dig into the big one that we wanted to talk about in this match and move from there into the bad news, you know. So so we do uh, score another really early goal in this match, right? So so uh, Jordi Reyna in the first minute, you guys talked about it in the post, um, gets a great header off of a great cross from Jalen Lindsay from us pressing their back line, which we did have some success with. We didn't necessarily have success pressing their midfield, but their back line, we did have, uh, you know, some luck there. Uh, fun, you know, real quick stat. Uh, Jordi Reyna is now in the MLS record books as the only player in MLS history to score two goals in under 30 seconds uh, in, in matches with an MLS. Uh, did is it that, just a couple of weeks ago. Is that in the same season or is that in, in their career? Uh, I think it's in their career at this point, but, but uh, it's definitely within the definitely same season. The season. Yeah, can... um, so very impressive, great cross from Jalen Lindsay. You know, you guys crowned him in the post-match. I don't know how this guy hasn't been seen more playing time given his cross. And then the, some of the defense that he played a little bit after this. Uh, and then Casper Schmilko, the number 11 that you talked about uh, nets one in the 21st. It's a hard rebound. You know, the, I had some questions here about Kalina. I think you did too. Yeah. One of the things that I will, I will go into here again, this is from my experience as a keeper in lower levels. I have never played in the MLS as a keeper, but one of the things that you learn really on as a keeper is you have to make a split second decision when a shot comes at you and you have really two options. Uh, The first option. Well, The first option is always keep the ball out of the net. Do whatever you can to keep the ball out of the net. But the two options you have to do that are you are either going to control or you are going to clear. There is no middle ground. Um, And keepers have to make this decision when they see a shot come at them. And yes, they have to make the decision as quickly as those balls are flying at them. It is not an easy thing to do of whether or not they are going to try and punch the ball away usually conceding a corner in the process, whether it goes over the top of the goal or off the sides, um, or whether they are going to attempt to control the ball, hold on to it, and retain possession for their team. My personal opinion here is a very minor bad read from Kalina. If you watch the replay on this one, Kalina is holding his hands. He is positioned in a way that he believes he can catch that ball. And he just doesn't quite catch it. Uh, It's one of the things that I don't think requires that much talking about. The reason it goes in is Kalina decides I can catch this and then realizes he can't catch it. And so instead of getting deflected way away, because I think he does have the time to really try and punch that away. Uh, my personal opinion is a a little bit of misjudgment on the speed of that ball, unfortunately leaves it bouncing in front of our goal. And, uh, you know, Casper takes advantage. I I think that's all I really want to tack onto that one. Did you see anything different, Justin? 
Not with Kalina. The one thing I will say there, and this is a night too where in defense, we generally did not cover ourselves in glory, but for the first time, maybe a little error here on this goal from Anton walks where I think he drifts a little bit behind the rest of the defensive line in his attempt to man Mark Casper Spilko um, as as Spilko moves forward um, and keeps, he's the only player keeping Spilko onside for this rebound attempt. And and I think just maybe if he's a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more aware of where that back line is holding, uh, this is a, this is a, a just Spilka can't get the goal because he's playing from an offside position. Yeah. And I do think that is a, a fair call out, but again, I think it's one that's easy to identify on, you know, video and I'm sure has been discussed in the locker rooms I want to go on to the Navarro goal because this one, I think there's a lot to talk about. And I think it shows some of the fragility that this team has uh, encountered from the top of our box. So at this point in time, uh, and forgive me, Justin, I'm going to ramble a bit here. For those of you at home, I would encourage you to pull out like a sheet of paper and, you know, a pencil and sort of write all this down and then, you know, draw a little thing of the field so you can really follow what's going on here. This particular play begins with an attack on the right side, our left side defense with Christian Fuchs. And those of you who have listened to this podcast in the past know that I am beginning to have real issues with Christian Fuchs it has nothing to do with technical ability. It just has to do with how fast he can get going. Other teams know that, and Christian Fuchs knows that. And so this attacker comes in, and he starts to press inward. And instead of Christian Fuchs having the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it the confidence and speed to, to really put pressure on this guy, he gives him an extra half a yard of space. And the reason he's giving him that extra half a yard of space is it's way worse if he gets beaten, Right. He needs that extra half a yard of space in order to catch up with a quick burst of speed down the line. Um, The more dangerous part of this play is if that attacker can cut the ball inside onto his left foot at the top of the box. Happens all the time. A lot of the best wingers in the world make their money this way. Uh, If you look at the Premier League, there's a player named Bukayo Saka who is an England international he is a nailed-on starter for Arsenal in as a really, really young man. And he makes, I'm not going to say all of his money, but a lot of his money by being incredibly dangerous at this. That is what, as a winger, you have to be. You have to be concerned of both sides, but one can turn really dangerous really quickly. If you look at the top of the box, Brant Bronico knows this. And it looks like Brant drifts over to that left side in order to support that interior run. So he basically says, look, if they do manage to pace by Christian Fuchs, I'm going to be here. But what that means is as a solo number six, Brant Bronico is not in the middle of the box. He's not at that top center of the box defending that area. He's been pulled off to the side. And if you watch, as soon as Brant commits, as soon as he gets over, the attacking player uses that space that has been left to him by Christian Fuchs and just chips a ball over the top of both of them. Here is where Justin, you and I have had some questions and we've worked out some things. It looks to me 
that this is designed. It looks to me that that space, they have said, look, Brant, whether it's to the left or right, you can go and press that interior space and make sure they don't cut inside on us. And it looks like in this particular event, the person who is supposed to be covering in and taking that space and making it difficult to get time at the top of the box would have been Quinn McNeil. Quinn McNeil bites on the cross and thinks he can get there. And so he fades out to our defensive right going for the cross and misses it. Gets pulled out of the play. It becomes a easy header down to acres of space at the top of our box. You can see Ben Bender attempting to run in, but ultimately the header comes down and credit to the attacking player. He takes this shot in one touch, which, you know, we'll talk maybe briefly about the fact that I wish Carol Swiderski would do, but he takes it in one touch and he fires a beautiful shot but he's only capable of that because there is just nothing around him. And we have seen time and time again for this team that danger is coming from the top of our box. If you go one-on-one with Kalina, you're not going to win that. The the guy is a monster. If you go one-on-one with Guzman Carujo, who unfortunately we're also going to have to talk about, uh, you're not going to win that. If you go one-on-one with Anton Walks, you're not going to win that. The danger seems to be coming from just above that line for this team. And, you know, in this particular episode, it looks like that space is being vacated by Brandt. And whether that is a consistent thing, whether that's something that, you know, we can look back at other recordings or look into the future and see is something that I'm really going to be keeping my eyes on because Brandt doesn't have any help there. He is a solo single pivot number six which means if he vacates the top of that box, either somebody from the back has to step up and fill it, or somebody from the front has to be able to get back there fast enough to fill it before the threat comes. And I wonder how many teams are starting to pick up on this, this area that, well, frankly, attackers can, can get free to take a shot. Justin, you want to you wanna talk about this one at all? I mean, yeah, you know, I, I think that We've talked before about how, oh, the only way to score against Christian Kalina is to hit a worldie. But this is the space at the top of this box. If there is a pocket of space for an attacking player, this is where you can hit a worldie because you can have the time to to really sort of set yourself. You've got the whole goal in front of you to pick one side or the other. Um, you have the opportunity to play your shot off of you know, another cross or, or, you know, a header down like this one and be in a position to take it on the volley or on the half volley, which means you can put some real power on it. Uh, you can get some swerve on it. And so you're right. It's whether it's, you know, maybe a little bit more dynamism from our, our center back pairing where, and, and what I mean by that is a willingness for, you know, if you've got one attacker, which is what you've kind of got in this situation, Walks and Karuha are both covering Shabilko uh, as the the sole striker for Chicago. Maybe only one of our center backs has to cover that, and the other one needs to be aware and push into this pocket of space at the top of the box. Or, like you said, we need to see that discipline from Quinn McNeil to come back and take up the central space to close this pocket. But either yeah. way... One of the somebody has to do it. 
Yeah, one of the questions I'm going to ask you really quick because I I personally see I personally see two I'm not going to call them bad failures in this, but I see two points of failure that create this opportunity. The first is there's absolutely no pressure from Christian Fuchs. He's just there thinking I I don't want to get run by and the attacker knows that. So he has the time to pop the ball over the top without any real pressure. The second, I think, is Quinn McNeil. I think he gets drawn to a play that he could have left to Jalen Lindsay. You know, Jalen Lindsay was there. He was on top of it. If Quinn McNeil's position was supposed to be run back to the top of the box, I think he abandons that mark. If that's not his position and somebody else was supposed to cover that area, then, you know, we throw that out the window. But from your perspective, Justin, if you had to if you had to lay it on somebody, who who makes the miss there that allows this to happen? I mean, I think that if you're talking about who's supposed to be covering that space at the the, the 18, I think it's Quinn McNeil's job. Yeah, uh, I would agree. And again, that is not to kill the guy. Uh, he works very hard in this game, as he does in the one before. That is just a very clear example of how this is the professional level. This is not college ball. These guys can take really small pockets of space in dangerous areas, and they can make you regret leaving them open. And they do. And ultimately, you know, they do go on to win this game. Uh, I think probably the worst thing that comes out of this game is not the the loss of the points. Uh, I mean, the points hurt because we are in a playoff race, but uh, the loss of a man is going to be much worse. Guzman Carujo goes down in this one. And I want to give a horrible, horrible piece of credit uh, to Jorge Torres from the Charlotte FC memes page who was helping us cover the game. The moment he goes down, he looked to me and goes, oh my gosh, that looks like an ACL. And uh, my response was, don't you breathe that into existence? And he did breathe it into existence. Unfortunately, it is a season-ending ACL injury for Guzman Carujo, who was the rock of our defense. Uh, so I think it's safe to say that that is entirely Jorge's fault. And, Justin, you have some stuff that well, you want to talk about that, that here's might the counter thing. my argument. I don't know if it's entirely Jorge's fault. I think that I think that one of the things that we have to address, and it's, it's a situation that we have, you know, I think talked about a little bit before, but Charlotte FC plays on turf. Uh, Bank of America Stadium has been converted from a grass stadium when uh, this team was owned by Jerry Richardson and it was just the Panthers playing in here eight times a season to uh, turf for, you know, uh, under David Tepper. Uh, we have both the Panthers and Charlotte FC playing on this field. We have a variety of other events. There's concerts, you know, there's there's uh, beer festivals that are held in here and Natural grass can't hold up under that much use. I understand that. If it was just the sports, we would probably still have natural grass. But there's a business decision that's being made, you know, to to put turf in so that these other events can happen. The problem with turf, more than anything else, is the rate of lower body injury on AstroTurf or, or field turf, you know, the new quote unquote better is 43% higher than on grass fields. We've seen 
Christian Fuchs go out earlier this year with lower body injury. You know, he was out for a while with ankle problems. We've seen Guzman Carujo deal with lower body injuries before, and now we've we've got the big one. We've got the bad one. If you talk about the other sport, we've seen Christian McCaffrey for, for the Carolina Panthers for a couple of years have some issues with injuries. You know, it, it's just a concern with the turf in the stadium, and it's not just – what it does in terms of injuries, but it's the lingering effect of some of those injuries. And one of the things I want to talk about as we talk about Fuchs and, and, you know, the concerns about his speed, the concerns about everything else, I think more than anything else, what I'm concerned about is his ability to move laterally anymore, because it seems like where he has his most concern, where he has his most trouble in defense is moving laterally. We saw it against Miami where he got played past you know, we saw it here in the 52nd minute when Shvilko gets the winning goal. Uh, you know, there's a great ball over the top by Shakiri and, and Shvilko's 1v1. One, one one, and all he has to do is go left and right a little bit. And he's able to leave Christian Fuchs behind. And lateral movement is is really governed by your knees, your ankles, your ability to move side to side. And if that's not quite right anymore for Christian Fuchs if he's still worried about that because he's playing on turf if he's still worried about that because he's got these sort of lingering knocks on the the ankles and the knees and everything like that from playing on turf you know that's something that I think we've got to talk about as fans business decisions aside and everything like that is it is it best business if your players are going to get hurt I don't know that it is. And so it's it's definitely something that worries me. It's definitely something I think we need to keep an eye on. It's definitely something I think we need to, as fans, express those concerns, you know, to the, the organization uh, in the right way. This is not a call for everybody to, to storm the stadium and scream at, you know, the employees of this club that I'll do a great job. But it is right for us to, to ask the question of at what point financially – is losing good players on the sports teams that play on this worse for Tepper Sports and Entertainment than than these concerts and other events that they want to host in Bank of America Stadium? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's something that that is rightful to be called out, um, and and it is a big question. It is something that will will have to be followed in in the coming months. Uh, one of the things that I will say is I do think we should touch on. Uh, the Swiderski backslash own goal uh, that does kind of become the, not the last moment happens in the, the 45th minute, last moment of the first half. I am happy we score here. I have to admit, one of the things that I think as analysts we see and I think can be easily missed for those people who don't really consistently watch strikers is... I am beginning to see a lot of frustration grow in the analyst community about the fact that Carol Swiderski does not seem to be able to hit the ball first time. Uh, it seems like when he gets the ball to his feet, and I will say not to his head, because when a ball comes into his head, he is the first person to just redirect that thing right on target in a very successful way. Um, actually, I think we even see him manage to do a redirect from his chest in one of these these early ones. But when it comes to his feet there at the box, he seems to need two to three touches before he can take the shot. And we have seen it now multiple times. This isn't our first piece of evidence in this thing. This ball down from Ben Bender to his foot for this goal is it lands right on his feet. I mean, it's, 
he is like four feet away from the goal. Uh, it lands right at his feet. It's the type of thing that Andre Shinyashiki would literally die to get. Um, it's the type of thing that I feel like we have a right to expect our striker to just turn into the goal. It doesn't need three touches. There's something about right there in front of goal that Karol Swiderski seems to be having trouble getting the ball out of his feet. And I personally think we need to keep an eye on that. Um, it has not been a critical point of failure, but it has definitely cost us in the past. And in the times that he has gone with one touch there, you know, right in front of the goal, you, we have seen misplayed touches and misses. Uh, it's kind of one of those, you know, six and one half dozen to the other, would you rather him take the touch one time and not take a good touch? Or would you rather him try and take two or three touches and not be able to get the shot away? Uh, both are ultimately bad. But my personal opinion is if you keep taking the touch on the first time, you will get better at it. And I do believe it's a skill we need to start seeing more out of Carol Swiderski. In this instance, it does not hurt us you know, it becomes an own goal, but that should have been a goal for Carol Swiderski and an assist for Ben Bender. Uh, Justin, is there anything you want to tack onto that, that last point here? Yeah. I mean, I, I think the only thing I want to say is, is what makes it a little bit more frustrating for me more than anything else is, is Swiderski's doing all of the other stuff so well. He's dropping back and linking play really well. He's finding these empty spaces in the box. He's making dangerous runs. And it's just this piece. And, and you know, shooting from further out, from outside the box, he's still got a great, strong shot. But it's this inside of the six-yard box that, oh, God, it's got to get a little bit better. Uh, yeah. Just got to be able to put these home. And one piece of, of credit we should give Carol Swiderski is it does look like he is learning how to shoot on his right. I mean, we have now seen him attempt and turn on his right a couple of times. And if he puts that in his locker, that's going to help a lot as well. But I do think it is right to call it out. Another thing that it is right to call out, Justin, is AHA Disc Golf Shack. Uh, for those of you who are regular listeners of the podcast, you will know that we are sponsored by a local company, AHA Disc Golf Shack. Uh, they are a small company here in Charlotte, North Carolina that helps disc golfers around this area get what they need to play the game. And if you have lived in Charlotte for any period of time, you know that this is a disc golf mecca. It is the place to go for disc golf. People travel from all around the world to play disc golf here. Uh, so if you are new to the game and you would like to uh, go out there and try it for your first time, we encourage you go to AHA Disc Golf Shack, talk to Aaron. And if you mention the crown cast, he will get you everything you need to get started at a discount. If you are not new to the game and you've just lost one of your discs, you want to replace it, please go to uh, Aaron at AHA Disc Off Shack, mention the crown cast, and he will give you that same discount. Uh, we love him. And Justin, you always like to highlight that it is family friendly as well. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great opportunity to get the kids out. You know, summer is winding down. They're going to be heading back to school. As a parent, I can say, thankfully, they're going to be heading back to school before too much longer. But it's a great opportunity to get the kids out of the house, get them doing something uh, active and a lot of fun for the whole family. Great opportunity to take, you know, the, the pets that like going outdoors, you can take them with you too. Uh, and just have a great time in the sun and AHA Disc Golf Shack can absolutely help you get that. All right. You feel like that's just uh, about enough of that? 
Yeah, I think so. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, you know, we have had a, a little bit of chaos going into the two games. We get the chance to talk about some of those, some of those goals, how they happen, what we see about the team itself. Uh, but those are ultimately in the past, and we are excited to welcome back Josh from Banks Beers and Soccer to talk a little bit about the future. Hello, Josh. Hey guys, how are we doing? Are we uh, over the weekend yet? I'm assuming not. Uh, I don't know if over is the right word. Dreading this upcoming weekend, too, because we've got a nasty opponent, right? LAFC's LAFC's going to be rough. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of out of the frying pan into the whatever that saying is. Um, I'm dreading having to stay up until 1030 on a Saturday just to watch us go over there because um, they are an incredibly scary team when you're looking at them just on paper. Yeah, I mean, statistically, they are the best team in Major League Soccer right now. They're on 51 points. I think that puts them six points clear of the second closest team anywhere in MLS. Uh, they've got a couple of pretty famous international names in Giorgio Chiellini and, and Gareth Bale, uh, who fuel an incredibly powerful uh, attack and an incredibly stout defense. And we're at a bad space you know we we are short players like we've talked about we have have transfers coming in that aren't ready yet and i don't know is is there anything that we should look out for first of all and uh, second of all is there anything that can bring us some hope um the hope one i think is going to be harder to answer i think you always have hope but on paper, this is just a hugely impressive team. I mean, you talked about their points total, but to add to that, they're the only team in the league who are above 2.00 points per game. Um, defensively, they don't give up any goals. Uh, offensively, they're, I think, first or second in the league. I think they're second just behind Austin. Um, they score a lot. They don't give up a lot. It's And then at home, they're really hard to to get anything from i think only three teams have taken points from them at home um and all of those teams are pretty good teams so austin won there in la and then philadelphia and portland tied um you know austin is really good philadelphia is obviously really good portland is seventh i think in the in the west so they're not an elite team this year but they're definitely not bad um and so that's really concerning for me, again, considering our away form. Yeah, uh, I, I'm going to say that this is one that I think everyone has reasonable means and uh, and probably should be approaching very cautiously. Uh, I am going to ask against teams like this, it is often kind of the, uh, I'm not going to say the luck, but the the superpower players that come through and provide something. You know, we have one superpower player who, despite the fact that I have recently given him a card, uh, I do feel like has some of the fastest feet in the MLS. We have Mackenzie Gaines out there on that right side. You know, if you look at our attack and you look at LA's defense, you know, Josh, you tell me, do you think that maybe a, a bit of a superpower player might might be able to pick that lock? Or do you feel like that defense is just... Too, too much. I think 
you always have a chance when you have pace, right? You, you always can, if you can get behind a line, you can make something out of nothing. I will say that um, he'll be going up against Palacios, who is a very attack-minded left back, but when he needs to defend is actually pretty good at it. Um, so I don't know how much Joy McKenzie will actually get down that side. I would actually point to um, LA's back line is pretty subpar when it comes to passing, actually. Cialini is probably now their best passer out from the back. Um, they're not bad or anything like that, but if there's one thing maybe you could try to do is pick your moments to try to press them and get some kind of quick turnover when they're trying to pass out from the back. That's going to be kind of a dangerous game to play with them, though, because if you're pressing them, they have the ability, especially in the midfield and up front, to really make you pay if they can break that press. Yeah, so I guess one of the questions I would have for you then is, is, you know, which area of the field would you be looking at Charlotte FC attempting to try and dominate? Because, you know, defensively, they seem like they're very strong uh, defenders. Offensively, they seem like they are... A, a significant threat no matter where you are across their line you know maybe in the midfield do you feel like we have uh, you know the midfield strength to try and, and pressure these guys and maybe at least hold that center down or do you feel like really no matter where you go on the pitch this is a little bit of a David versus Goliath I'm leaning towards the latter and I, and I hate to say that but when I when I look at this team across the board it's one of those cases where most of their players, I believe, would be starters for us. I don't think that that's a shocking thing to say necessarily. Um, but when you even think about some of the players that they have that probably aren't household names, Sifuentes, who's in the midfield, um, I'm going to butcher his name, but I think it's Apoku, who is um, on the wing for them. These are guys that you know people might not be familiar with, but are incredibly talented and have been incredibly um, effective this year. Sifuentes out of the midfield has six goals and five assists. And yeah, sure, it's helped when you're playing, you know, with Carlos Vela and now Bale and all those other guys. But when I look at this team, it, it really, I'm hard pressed to find anywhere that Charlotte have a definitive advantage with them. Again, I, I think that back line could be susceptible i think if you could get in if you could maybe isolate cialini i mean he is 37 so if maybe swiderski or Gaines or someone else could get a run on him and a well-timed ball i think that might be an area where maybe you could pick out but that midfield is good it's deep too they just traded for mendez from orlando who adds more quality to them um they're just a rich team that just seems to get richer and richer yeah, and it, it unfortunately doesn't seem like it's a rising tide, you know, lifts all boats situation. It it seems like, as we fear, it, the tide is rising because everyone in there is is special. Uh, I guess my last question for you, and then Justin, I'm not sure if you have any you want to tack in, uh, would be if you had to pick a player from Charlotte FC who you will say, this person has to light the field up to to possibly get a result, who would you say it is? Ooh, um, the man who I think has been our most consistent player all year, and that's Bronico. Um, if we have any chance, he's going to have to stand on his head in this game because he's going to have to help out defensively. Um, I mean, you know, with no Carujo in the back line, um, it's going to be a problem for us. He's going to have to 
be there to help take care of Cifuentes and Acosta if Acosta's playing and Sanchez is a good player in there. Um, sorry about my dog in the background. Uh, but he is, uh, he's the one that I would point to, to be, um, really effective. He's just going to have to break up their attacks all game long for us. Okay. Uh, Justin, do you have any uh, questions you want to add for LAFC? I don't think any more questions about LAFC. I just cannot express how terrified I am at the thought of Gareth Bale running at the left side of our defense for 90 minutes. Yeah. That is going to be bad. Well, I don't know that he's started but, a game so far this season. I'm trying to look that. He has not started for them, so maybe it won't be a full 90 that he does that. <laughs> maybe he only runs at us <laughs> for 60 minutes. Uh, let's look for the positives. Uh, no, ultimately, the truth is in every league, there is a team that has their whole team put together. And in this league, it is LA. Uh, they, they have their team put together. They have the players where they want them to play. They have their teamwork worked out. It is a complete team. And we are going to have a significant uphill challenge to produce a result against them. Some people who might be able to help us produce results against them and results in the future have actually come in in this window. And I think it's right that, uh, Josh, we're going to ask you to hang around for this one. We're going to ask you to stay with us. We're not going to send you home yet uh, for us to talk about our three new incomings, Nathaniel Byrne, uh, Nuno Santos, and uh, Adelson Melanda. I am probably saying that incorrectly. Um, but I think we each, three of us, take a player and talk about them. You think that's fair? Sure. So I, I know, Josh, you've had an opportunity to dig a, a little deeper into these guys. Do you want to do you want to pick one that sort of stands out to you, excites you the most or or at least interests you for their impact on Charlotte FC the most? Yeah, I I think um, Byrne is the one that as I looked more into him, interested me um more so than I thought. I was actually a little disappointed when we signed a right back. I would not have been opposed to a left back. Um, but I was surprised that we got a right back. And when I looked into him, he is a right back. Uh, from what I can tell, he's not someone who's going to, to switch over to the left-hand side. He is going to come in on that right side. But when I did look into him, what I think he looks like, to me at least, is a mixture of Jalen Lindsay and Harrison Awful. When you look at things like his heat map, he gets up and down the pitch like Lindsay does, but he also tucks inside kind of like Awful does. And so when you look at it from that perspective, that kind of does excite me because, you know, I am a Lindsay fan, but I don't really know why he hasn't been playing other than that he maybe can't tuck in as well as Latanzio is wanting. So if you have someone like this who can sort of do that job while also providing his offensive input, I think that's something that Charlotte fans shouldn't should be excited for. Yes, it might mean that Lindsay still has to fight for time, but you know, squad competition is is always a good thing. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about him is that he has a history of of getting quite a few assists per year. I think he averages somewhere around four to six, something like that. Um, and now he does take a lot of corners historically, so that probably helps him. But I don't know that our corner takers have also been exceedingly great this year either. So that might be another added benefit to him joining the side. 
All right. I mean, I mean, we've got an Olympico from a corner, but yeah, I mean, granted that it hasn't, uh, we haven't really scored anything else. I mean, I'm interested in Byrne. He's coming out of Derby, uh, you know, so same club Kamil Yazwiak's coming in from. 30 years old means he's not really necessarily the long term, which I do hope still leaves the door open for Jalen Lindsay. I think everybody uh, on this podcast right now uh, is is a big fan of what Jalen Lindsay can potentially bring to this team as he continues and was excited to see the contract extension. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it'll be interesting. Probably, uh, you know, probably see Byrne coming in before too much longer and probably slotting straight into the starting lineup. What do you guys think? Uh, I will be honest. I think whether he slots into the starting lineup will be entirely due to how Christian Latanzio views his leadership abilities. Um, we're going to get onto something later. I have, I have further down in my notes to talk about the fact that this is becoming a much younger squad. Uh, but you know, when we sat in the presser and, and talked to Christian Latanzio, I asked him, what is it about Harrison Offal's connections with his teammates that, uh, that makes him such an important part of your system. And the first words out of his mouth was leadership. Uh, There was no like hesitation. There was no, you know, I really like the way this guy does this. It, It seems to be, you know, from, from the horse's mouth, if you will, that Harrison awful brings a level of stability and a level of leadership and, and maybe a level of direction to those players on the back line as well as those maybe younger players and less experienced players in front of him. And I think that if, uh, you know, Nathaniel Byrne comes in and, and shows that leadership for me personally, I can, I can see just an an immediate slot into the team. Uh, Do we want to, does anyone want to say anything else on Nathaniel or do we want to move on to the next one? I think we're ready to move on. You want to go ahead, Logan, pick one of, uh, of Nuno or Adelson. Yeah, I am going to, uh, actually take, uh, Adelson Adelson. And, uh, the reason I say that is because I don't know a lot about him. Uh, I know obviously from the French second division, he is coming in as a center back and wow, what good timing for us to have a depth guy for center back. Uh, because I think there are going to be a lot of questions asked very shortly uh, one of the things we've already talked about in this podcast is Christian Fuchs. And, uh, you know, we talked about LAFC having a 37-year-old. You know, we have our 36-year-old, I believe, uh, in the back yeah. line there and comes with now a huge amount of defensive responsibilities. And we are now aware, obviously, we spoke about it, Guzman Carujo is out for the season, which means we are basically looking at Christian Fuchs and Anton walks as it that that's all we have. So Adelson comes in, he's 20 years old. He doesn't have the experience in a top league yet, but I I am, I am excited for the future, which is one of the reasons I, I pick the younger guy here, but this guy might, get sort of thrown into the fire a lot faster than we are expecting. Uh, Josh, do you have anything you want to add in on uh, Adelson? Adelson? Yeah, just a couple points. One, I um, I wouldn't ignore Jan. He's still on the club, I think. I don't know. We haven't seen him in a few months. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you are correct. And then the only thing that worries me a little bit about Melanda is that, um, and I'm basing this entirely on his heat map from from last year, 
uh, because as you said, there's not a lot of information out there on the French second division. He was, it looks like they were playing mostly in a back three though, um, which isn't surprising for such a young player. And he was playing out on that right-hand side in the back three. Um, And so, you know, that's a slightly different role for a center back. There's a little bit more coverage for you um, in case, you know, someone makes a mistake, you have a couple people behind you that can help out. And so I kind of think it's a big ask for him to come to a new country, potentially new language um, mid season and make much of an impact. I hope I'm wrong. Um, But I think I'm a little bit more negative about his impact this year than um, maybe you are or a lot of the fans that I've seen. Oh, I mean, one thing I will say is I'm fully on the the ship or on board that if this guy is going to come in and make a difference, it's going to be a roll of the dice and it's going to be a very it's going to be a huge task set up on a very young man's shoulders. I I think almost everything is against him. And one of my concerns here is that even under that statement, he may not have a choice. Charlotte FC may not have a choice uh, shortly. He He may be called to action possibly before he's ready. And if that does happen, boy, I hope the best for him because obviously that is hoping the best for us. Justin, anything you want to say on uh, Moanda or you want to go on to Nuno? Well, I'm I'm with Josh here in that I think that Adelson is going to need more time than any of our other signings to sort of come on board. I think that one of the things that wouldn't surprise me over the next couple of days, we just got the news that literally the day that we're recording this, that that Kuruho is going to be out for the remainder of the year. It wouldn't surprise me if you see a bridge signing, a more veteran guy, you know, uh, uh, come in and really as competition sort of for that starting center back role that Fuchs is going to have to, I think, occupy for the time being. We do still have Jan Sabasinski. I think the last time we saw him, he went off injured relatively early in a match, though. Um, So I don't know that we're going to put Adelson in the position for the remainder of this year where he's going to have to step in. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing if... You know, he's getting 10 or 15 minutes at the end of a match, though, uh, as a late substitute. So I, I want him brought along right, but I do want to see, you know, if he can if he can provide that depth this season and maybe make some of these 18s. Um, we'll move on, though, to the last and, and I think personally the most exciting of our transfer window signings. So uh, Nuno Santos is a central attacking midfielder who captained Benfica B. So Benfica, one of the biggest teams in the Portuguese first division, their youth team or or their second team, Benfica B plays in Portuguese second division. Uh, He spent the last, uh, he he captained them, I think a couple of seasons ago, he spent last season with a, a variety of different loans. I think spent some time at Boa Vista, which is in the first division. Um, this is a big club with a big feeder system. You know, Benfica is one of the powerhouses of Portuguese soccer. Portuguese, uh, you know, the Portuguese league is one of that sort of second tier along with like the Dutch Eredivisie and, and um, uh, you know, some of those leagues where you see a lot of young players that are very exciting, getting some experience, getting an opportunity to play in very professional systems at a very young age. Um, he's got a lot of technical capability. He's got a lot of talent with the ball at his feet. He's got a lot of talent picking out passes. He was the captain of Benvika B for for a season at least that speaks to me that he's familiar, you know, in a leadership role, 
being a guy who's not willing to to or who's who's not afraid to take the step forward and say you know, I'm going to make sure that we're calling out people on, on positioning, on, you know, making the runs and taking the responsibility for being in the right position himself. So, um, and it's central attacking midfielder. It's a position that we have seen departures from the squad. And we'll talk a little bit more about the, you know, some of the more recent departures, but we've seen, uh, you know, Alain Franco, we've seen TDRTs leave the club already. That central midfield position has gotten a little bit slimmer you know he's 23 years old he's going to come in sort of same age as, as McNeil and Bender and I know Logan that's definitely something that we want to talk about a, a little bit later in here but um I'm excited for him I think that there's going to again be growing pains and and you know a familiarity that he needs to to learn about Latanzia's system but I think that this means that before the end of the season, one of Bender or McNeil is coming off the bench and Santos, I I hope, is nailing down a starting spot. Logan, what do you think? Yeah, I can weigh in on this one. I, th- I think Bender's sitting down. Um, I think that having talked to Christian Latanzio, having recently interviewed Ben Bender, um, Ben has the technical ability to really tear apart a team. He needs the time. Um I think he needs to grow into the league and develop. And maybe in two years we see, uh, you know, or maybe even one year, hopefully six months, we see him really grow into that space. Uh, I do think that Christian Antonio prefers Quinn McNeil, it not for his technical ability. I don't think anyone will doubt that Quinn McNeil has a long way to go technically, but his defensive work rate and his tackling ability, I think is what uh, Christian Latanzio wants. Uh, I do think Ben probably sits down for Nono Santos. He's he is a good player. He is technically very gifted. I do think we have to mention that he is capped as an international. Yes, an under twenty one international for Portugal. But uh, I don't know if you have ever heard about Portugal. But when you go to the world <laughs> stage of soccer, uh, Portugal is decent. They are acceptable there have been one or two good players that have come from portugal and uh if you are a fan of international soccer uh one very famous one will probably pop into your head but we're not going to say where he's at uh i am going to say you don't get into that team without real talent now at 23 years old youth is a question Uh, i i still i cannot see this guy coming into the team and not I'm not going to say not holding down the role, but certainly not coming in and and getting the role. I think it's his. Uh, And we'll see if Christian Latanzio thinks the same. Uh, Josh, any final notes on him or should we start to talk about the outgoings? Um, I was just going to quickly say that I agree with you, Logan. I unfortunately, I think that for the Bender fans, I think that his arrival is going to be that Bender goes to the bench just because Santos does he'll play all over the field but he does prefer that left hand of the pitch a little bit more um than the right side and so that's sort of the same area that Bender likes to operate in as well and I think McNeil as you said just has more of that energy that uh Latanzio is looking for in the midfield uh then we will probably wrap it up and do a little bit just quick taps on the out. Uh, Justin Christian McCoon is officially gone, traded to New England Revolution for 400000 in general allocation money. And wow, 
I realize in the world scope of football, $400,000 is not that much. And that's insane. Like just, just saying $400,000 is a lot of money. Uh, I, I think maybe we got a little bit of a, a better deal on this one. I'm not sure what new England revolution uh, was expecting, but I, we've talked about Christian McCoon maybe needing to go uh, learn his trade and develop elsewhere. Uh, Sergio Ruiz uh, out to Granada. Do you want to talk about this one, Justin? Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe caught a, a lot of us a little bit by surprise here. I haven't seen him for a few weeks. This has been rumbling for a while that it was heading out, but he spent a, a, a long stretch you know, sort of nailed on in that starting role uh, ahead of Bronico and next to, you know, whether it was Alcivar or, or McNeil or Bender, whoever it might have been. Um, and I thought really had kind of come into his own in the, the midfield and was was taking a, a solid role. We know that we he's had some personal health issues, you know, mental health issues, stuff like that, that, that you know, we've tried to be very, I think, as a team understanding. I don't know if that just... You know, if he just never found the right fit in Charlotte uh, with with FC, anything like that. But, yeah, it's a permanent move out to Granada. Um, so, you know, we, we wish him the best. Uh, we thank him for all of his service to the club. But but this one hurts a little bit, you know, seeing seeing another midfielder mentioned earlier, Ortiz out, uh, Franco out, and now we're seeing Ruiz go. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think when I first went to a practice, when I went to the open practice for Charlotte FC, I have said on this microphone, the guy who caught my eye was uh, was Sergio Ruiz. He was the guy who was who just knew where everyone on the the pitch was and was capable of of making really cutting open, intelligent passes that were well weighted and on time. He, he's one of the people who technically really can play the beautiful game, and. Uh, you know, while whether it's better for his health or, you know, whether he wasn't in the plans for the future, I personally am kind of sad to see him leave Charlotte FC, but it was an honor to have him here and we wish him all the best. I'm going to get to the point, the final point that I really want to talk about, and then we will wrap it up because we know this is a long one. Uh, and that is, I have said on this podcast, I prefer a team to be a young team that shows potential and to coach them into being a better team. Uh, the reason I say that is you, I, I'm going to make a statement here and then I'm going to instantly counteract myself. Uh, so very standard for, for the crown cast, you can't buy a league anymore. I say that Manchester city bought the premier league. <laughs> I say that <laughs> LA has kind of bought the MLS, uh, you can buy a league if you have absolutely ridiculous, insane amounts of money. If you're willing to pay 180 million something dollars for, uh, oh, the Manchester City player who just came in, uh, Erling Holland, yeah, Erling Holland, then yes, in theory, you can buy a league. But football teams are too good nowadays. They come in with effective game plans. They work together. They they're structured in ways that that support each other and just throwing money at a problem oftentimes does not work. The per, the way that I see forward that works more often is getting a young team of really incredible talent and accepting that maybe a third of them are going to make it. That 
they're going to learn to work together. They're going to grow up together. They're going to learn the system. They're going to learn modern football together. And by the time they're 25, 26, 27, they are really in tune with each other. They like where they live. You know what you're going to get out of them. There's not going to be any surprises. And they're working in a system that they grew up in. What that requires is a really good coach. I personally think Christian Latanzio is a really good coach. But having said all of this, our team is starting to look really, really, really young. Justin, I'm going to throw some numbers at you. And and Josh, please feel free to get in here as well. Bender, 21. McNeil, 23. Alcivar, 23. Nuno Santos, 23. Brant Bronico, the old man of the midfield, 27. Derek Jones, rarely on the field, but is a part of our midfield, 25. We bring in uh, Adelson at 20. If you look to his possible partner or to whoever's partner there in Anton Walks, 25. Jalen Lindsay, very young. Uh, we now have either this group of really, really, really young players. And then we have Harrison Awful, Joseph Mora. Uh, uh, what is, how old is Joseph Mora? I want to say he's 30. Uh, 30, I think. Uh, Harrison Awful, Joseph Mora, and Christian Fuchs. And really the only players we have kind of in that like really dedicated range are all at the top end of the pitch. You know, we have uh, Kamal Yazwiak, who's also fairly young, uh, but we have Carol Swiderski and we have Andrei Shinoshiki, who who maybe can come in with a little bit more experience. I, I will admit, even with my preference being... I'd like to see a young team that grows up together. There's not a lot of backup and there's not a lot of experience there in that midfield. Justin, what should we be expecting? You know, how do we set our expectations for this? Well, so, so I think that one of, I mean, in terms of setting expectations, I think that you can expect some more of what we have seen in terms of, you know, some of the growing pains that we've seen with Bender, some of the growing pains that we've seen with McNeil. You know, we don't really know yet if Santos is going to come in here 23 years old. He may not be a finished product. He may he may have some growing pains, too. I, I think, though, that one piece of this strategy might be very dependent on the fact that that. Christian Latanzio is an interim manager right now. At the end of this season, there's a very good chance that Charlotte FC is going to be in a position where we're going to have to hire a new manager. That new manager is going to bring a new system, new players that they like. One of the things you can try and do is is make us a job appealing by saying, here's a lot of very young talent that has a lot of potential in front of it for you to try and develop. You can just fill in in spots with more experienced players that you like, mm-hmm. but that is all in the future. And that means for the remainder of this season, it's there's going to be, I think, some growing pains that we're going to have to to suffer our way through. What do you think, Josh? So I'm going to shamelessly plug my own blog and say that at the beginning of June, I actually looked into this a little bit because we have gotten younger over this transfer window. But we've always been kind of a young team or kind of a team that's had really young players and really old players. Um, 
And I'm with you guys on, I think that we're going to have growing pains with this specific team. However, I would say to the fans that it's not all bad and that depending on the league, and MLS is one of these leagues, you can do really well when you have a young team. Um, in fact, like at the beginning of June, now I know, you know, some time has passed, the standings have changed, but the, at the beginning of the June, the five youngest teams in the league were New York Red Bulls, Dallas, Vancouver, Chicago, and then Montreal and NYCFC tied together. Um, when you look at the standings now, five of those six teams are in playoff positions with only Vancouver out of it. Um, so there will be growing pains and it might be really hard this year, but next year you hope that that experience that they're gaining this year does help you. And I think in MLS, because it's such a physical and athletic league, having a younger squad in general can be really beneficial for you. Yeah. I I personally feel like much to what you said, Josh, I, I don't particularly view this as a bad thing. I do think it's something to be aware of. You know, we have, as a club and as a fan base, I think done a really good job of getting behind Ben Bender, of getting behind Quinn McNeil, of getting behind these young players and not, you know, sort of roasting them for their mistakes. I, I think that we have a, a pretty good fan base that loves football and wants to think about where these guys are going to be in the future. And I also don't think there's anyone that can deny if these guys do hit their potential, if they come here and they learn Nuno Santos is a superstar. I mean, he has the potential to be superstar material. Ben Bender has the potential to be superstar material. Quinn McNeil, you know, despite the fact I talk about his technical level not showing that high, I believe has the potential to be star superstar material. These guys can all get really, really, really good. And it could be a lot of fun to watch Charlotte FC uh, I, I do think it's going to be a bit of teeter-totter here for the remainder of the season. Uh, we are going to start to wrap it up there. So very quickly, we are going to tell you, please go check out Banks Beers and Soccer. We love Josh. We think he's a decent fellow. And we think what he does is great. So we'd like you to go see it too. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it, guys. And uh, Justin, you know, we are... Excited to go play LA and, uh, and you know, I'm excited. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to choose to hope for the best. Uh, so do you want to, you have any final thoughts that you want to pass along here before we wrap it up? No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I always want to see our team play, but uh, the next, this one and, and then NYCSC after this, just temper your expectations, CFC fans. If we get results, it's going to be amazing. If we don't, don't, be too upset about it. This is these these are matches that we can learn more from the experience, and uh, I think the playoffs unfortunately may be drifting a little out of our reach this season. Yeah, uh, I am going to go ahead and close it down and say we will talk to you after we go and take our next three points from LA. Goodbye. Queen City Podcast Network.com. <laughs>